This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 136 of This Week in FCPA for the week ending January 4th, 2019, We Are the Sugar Bowl Champs edition. The Texas Longhorns won the Sugar Bowl, and I'm still celebrating. Well, I come down to earth for the Cowboy game and the Texans, who are both playing Saturday in the first round of the NFL playoffs. Before we get to this week's stories, a message from our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides professional independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in over 700 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance program, visit our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. Some of the stories Jay and I uh, investigate this week are the uh, New York Times front page story about McKinsey and potential bribery allegations. We take a look at the largest corruption scandal in 2019 to date, where uh, Credit Suisse bankers, a Lebanese businessman, and a former finance minister for Mozambique are all charged in a massive $2 billion bribery and corruption scandal. We consider what compliance professionals should be alert for in 2019. The Wells Fargo $575 million fine and penalty to state regulators last paid out last month. Consider a quick wrap-up of the FCPA enforcement actions from 2018 in the FCPA blog. The Colombian anti-corruption chief <clears throat> was sentenced to four years in prison for, wait for it, engaging in bribery and corruption. Sloan Kettering faces a massive conflict of interest scandal. Where is blockchain and compliance going? We consider uh, two lawyers from Miller and Chevaliers, three predictions on the 2019 FCPA year. We discuss the five-part podcast series on leadership I did this week, featuring the book by General Stanley McChrystal and two others, Leaders, Myth, and Reality. And finally, I announced my first 2019 Compliance Masterclass. I know you'll enjoy this week's episode. This Week in FCPA is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, back again with Mr. Monitors himself, Jay Rosen, for the first This Week in FCPA for 2019, the We Are the Sugar Bowl Champs edition. Jay, I don't know if you caught it, but the Texas Longhorns uh, upset the Georgia Bulldogs in the Sugar Bowl on Tuesday night. So, uh, as we say, uh, unfortunately, not often enough here in Houston, we are the champions. Hook'em horns. Congratulations and uh, welcome everyone to the first uh, this week in FCPA for the calendar year of 2019. And we won't disappoint you, so we'll jump right in and uh, tell you what uh, we find are the biggest stories of, of the week. And uh, first of all, I'd like to look at an article uh, from the New York Times by Walt Bogdan and Michael Forsyth. And it's appropriately titled Exhibit A, How McKinsey Got Entangled in a Bribery Case. Uh, the consultancy's report became key evidence in a battle over the extradition of a powerful Ukrainian oligarch 
charged in a scheme to help Boeing. Dmitry Firtash, a Ukrainian billionaire, was indicted in the United States on charges of directing $18.5 million in bribes to Indian officials. So um, there's a great story, and I'll kind of cut to the chase, but I really, uh, Tom and I recommend that you read it in the Times. And uh, basically, uh, Boeing, the aircraft giant, was in a tight spot, and just as they were preparing to roll out their new 787 Dreamliner, the airplane that was supposed to save the company and lead the company into a bright and rosy future, they noticed they had a shortage of strong but lightweight titanium parts that uh, made them to go look for a partner to uh, help them source these parts. And they ended up getting involved uh, with uh, Dmitry Firtash. But the interesting thing was uh, trying to do the right thing. Uh, Boeing went to McKinsey and asked them to evaluate whether or not this uh, deal was too risky. And McKinsey says that it advised Boeing of the risk and attached to its evaluation was a single PowerPoint slide, Exhibit A, in which McKinsey described what it says was the potential partner strategy for winning tournaments. And it did something that you should never do. It wrote right on that PowerPoint slide that it included bribing Indian officials. So the story goes on, but uh, there's also an element of fighting over Mr. Furtosh and whether or not they could expedite him out of Austria. But it's just a, a fascinating story. Uh, Tom, any parts you want to highlight on it? So I guess I should give a somewhat um, somewhat of, a, of an admonition that this is not document, document, document via PowerPoint. Uh, don't create a spreadsheet where you record your bribes and then uh, track the progress of the contracts to determine your profit. And don't put in a PowerPoint, even if you're a consultant, that your client needs to engage in bribery and corruption. Um, because, Jay, as uh, one other company that's the world's largest retailer learned, it's never good to be on the front page of the New York Times uh, accused of advocating bribery and corruption. Uh, that is definitely a good takeaway from uh, from this story. Uh, let's see. Next up, we have uh, two ex-Credit Suisse bankers have been charged in a massive $2 million bribery. Why don't you let us know the details on that, Tom? So, Jay, uh, it's January 4th as the, uh, we're recording this, and we now have uh, 2019's largest corruption scandal so far, a literally a $2 billion a corruption scandal involving uh, something around. I mean, I'm sure uh, we probably should have had a, a disclaimer or at least a um, a warning for Charlie the Tuna. He should not be listening to this episode um, because this involves the well-known scam, the Tuna Bond scandal that came out of uh, Mozambique, where two million dollars of bonds were issued for um, increased farming of tuna offshore. The problem was the money that came from the sale of these bonds uh, went into the coffers of private individuals and not the country of Mozambique. So this is a part of the uh, tuna bond scandal. The um, uh, people involved were uh, three um, uh, Credit Suisse bankers uh, who were involved in uh, helping with this, a company, a uh, Abu Dhabi-based marine projects company called uh, Priv Invest and its principal, Jean Bostani, and then the uh, former um, 
uh, former government official at uh, uh, in Mozambique, a finance minister, Michael Chang, I believe. And they were all uh, charged with various forms of bribery and corruption. Uh, there were FCPA uh, violations alleged, and um, five hundred million of the two billion uh, was never accounted for. And uh, the defendants named in this indictment uh, skimmed at least two hundred million dollars of the loan. So um, lots to unpack here. Um, it's going to be a, a really a huge case. It's interesting. None of these individuals are U.S. citizens, yet they were all uh, arrested, and um, one was arrested in the United States. Uh, others were arrested in other countries, and they're going to be subject to being extradited to the United States. So uh, literally a stunning case. Um, the, um, the takeaway, Jay, I'd like to take in a little bit different direction, though, is that uh, Mozambique recently had a, uh, a peaceful through election regime change. And when you have regime change, you have typically the new regime uh, comes in and investigates the old regime, at least uh, uh, we've seen that several times, and that's happened in Mozambique. So if you've done business in Mozambique over the past uh, five, perhaps even 10 years, you better take a very hard look at your operations uh, because the prior regime was uh, uh, generally viewed as highly corrupt, and this um, – could impact you negatively. And, and it's just going to be a huge case. It was literally announced uh, late last uh, last night or rather late yesterday afternoon. So we're going to have to watch this one, but I'm sure it will be uh, one to watch. Jay, as you might expect, there were several uh, blog posts and commentators who gave either uh, 2018 retrospectives or 2019 look-aheads. Uh, one of, we've got a couple in here. Uh, one of which is uh, sort of a look forward that Matt Kelly does annually. He took a look at nine compliance issues for 2019, highlighting whistleblower reforms from the SEC, continued uh, innovation in anti-money laundering uh, programs. Uh, where will U.S. privacy law go? There has to be something um, that uh, will, Congress has to do around privacy. Uh Related to that will be GDPR enforcement and where will that go. An interesting area that we had not really focused on, Jay, is what Matt calls restive employees. We've certainly seen in the Me Too movement and other movements, employees are more willing to speak truth to power and uh, speak up when uh, things uh, are done uh, by corporations, either the senior execs or the corporations themselves. And the restive employees really speaks to that latter excuse me, to the former, when uh, Google decided not to bid on a defense contract after there was an outburst of uh, from employees about uh, doing uh, that work. So uh, whereas the government may want to cut back on consumer regulatory risk, I think both Adam Smith in the marketplace and employees will pressure companies uh, to do business more ethically. Uh, next up is uh, GRC vendors and where uh, they may go, and uh, interestingly, something that Matt's been talking about for quite some time is the new lease accounting rules. So we're going to watch all of uh, those stories going forward. But uh, you're, I'm not sure if they're your current friends or your former friends or that they even ever were your friends, but certainly your California bank, Wells Fargo, is back in the news. You want to tell us about that? Sure. So uh, it seems like they can never stay out of the news. Um, Wells Fargo has agreed to pay $575 million 
to resolve state investigations. And this money uh, is to resolve an investigation by all 50 states and Washington, D.C., and to a range of practices, the latest chapter in the bank's long-running legal problems. Uh, for all intents and purposes, <coughs> excuse me, the deal ends inquiries that began after federal regulators revealed back in September of 2016 that Wells Fargo employees had for many years opened millions of unauthorized bank accounts in customers' names to meet very aggressive sales targets. Uh, this disclosure back then led to the departure of Wells Fargo's chief at the time, John G. Stump, and several other major executives. Wells Fargo had done a mea culpa, admitted its missteps, and paid fines of $185 million, but accusations of bad behavior kept multiplying on the bank. The agreement on Friday followed a $65 million settlement between the state of New York and Wells Fargo and our uh, attorney general in California, Javier uh, Becerra, said that California will get almost $149 million under the settlement. So when we talk about reputational risk, um, you know, they're like the poster child. And unfortunately, uh, like Pigpen and the Peanuts uh, cartoon, they can just not stay away from uh, bribery, conflict of interest and other matters. So uh, I, I, I don't know if uh, we are done with Wells Fargo, but they decided to visit us on the fourth day of uh, 2019. Uh, next up. I'm sorry. Uh, next up, uh, Dick Tasson always does one of his uh, chock full of information year in review. There's a lot to digest, but um, Tom, why don't you give us some of the highlights, please? So uh, Dick Tasson over at the FCPA blog puts out one of the first um, annual updates. Uh, several firms and other commentators put them out, but uh, Dick really got his up first on January 2nd. Took a look at the entire enforcement of the FCPA in 2018. It's a great resource. Uh, he gives some numbers, comparison numbers. He goes through the enforcement actions themselves with a little bit of detail. He talks about who was sentenced, who was convicted, uh, who gave a guilty plea, who had a sentence uh, affirmed, who was indicted, who was charged who got declinations. Uh, it's a great resource. We link to it in the show notes, and I uh, certainly commend it to you if you want a, a quick review of uh, what happened in 2018 from the FCPA world. Uh, Jay, um, you want to tell us about the Colombian anti-corruption chief and why we're talking about him here on the first week of January? Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Uh, the former Colombian national director of anti-corruption was sentenced Wednesday to four years in prison after a DEA sting in Miami, because that's always a great place to have a DEA sting with pocket and tubs, uh, caught him soliciting a $132,000 bribe to undermine an investigation into local politicians. Um, Luis Gustavo Moreno Rivera, 37, pleaded guilty in August the charges that he conspired to launder money in order to promote foreign bribery. His co-conspirator was Leonardo Pinella Gomez, 34, a Colombian lawyer who also pleaded guilty last year. Moreno and Pinella were arrested in Colombia in 2017 on an Interpol red notice and extradited to the U.S. last May. Uh, the DOJ said that Moreno and Pinella solicited a bribe from the former Colombia governor, Alejandro Leon Muscas to Cordoba, 
the Cordoba, a cooperating witness through the DEA. As prosecutors said, Moreno agreed to take $132,000 in cash from Lyons uh, in return. Uh, Moreno promised to discredit the witness in the case uh, against Lyons before the U.S. IRS. The DOJ said $100 bills from some of the money Lyons paid to Moreno and Pinella at a Miami-Dade shopping mall were found on Moreno and his family when they boarded a flight from Miami back to Bogota. So uh, just, uh, you know, these things get more and more uh, dramatic. And, uh, you know, the 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 amount of money is almost, uh, I guess, you know, negligible here, but it's still the uh, the kind of stupidity and how people think they can uh, outwit a way to scam. Jay, I might even suggest that if you're the head of an anti-corruption uh, commission or for an entire country, uh, the one thing you should not engage in is bribery and corruption. Um, a uh, bit of a irony there, even for a recovering screenwriter. Yeah. So um, now there's always a conflict of interest that can happen when you work at a hospital and you also develop drugs with some of the major uh, pharmaceutical companies globally, uh, uh, Bravo Activa and um, New York Times. Take a look at what's happening at the Sloan Kettering Cancer Hospital in New York. What's the story there, Tom? So in a, a really just a stunning and great reporting job by ProPublica and the Times, uh, they had an article uh, on Monday of this week which talked about the um, uh, culture at Sloan Kettering and really the turmoil it's created because uh, the company's top medical officers and other leaders have cultivated lucrative relationships with pro pro uh, uh, for, rather pro for profit companies. Sloan Kettering, of course, is one of the country's leading nonprofits around cancer research, and you literally had the top people at. Um, uh, Sloan Kettering sitting on the boards of pharmaceutical companies. Uh, the chief executive, Craig Thompson, uh, was on the board. And uh, uh, then um, another uh, a doctor, uh, also a top doctor at the hospital, uh, been on the board of Merrick, uh, Novartis, and other prominent um, for-profit entities. Uh, these were not disclosed. And um, numerous academic papers were authored uh, by members of Sloan Kettering uh, without these disclosures uh, being put forth. And it's really created a lot of turmoil at the hospital. There was a they quoted a meeting which was held in uh, October where the doctors who work at Sloan Kettering were deeply angered by these revelations and that uh, the corporate corporatization of the institution has really um uh, concerned many, many of the doctors there. They feel it's antithetical to the mission of Sloan Kettering and that there's a, a direct conflict of interest because, Jay, of course, when you're on the board of a public company, you're uh, legally charged with uh, making money for shareholders. And that's not the um, purpose and, and mission of Sloan Kettering. And uh, uh, having these uh, top management officials on these boards uh, clearly has created a conflict of interest. And it went even farther. One of the doctors quoted in the article said that um, um, it's not that uh, they didn't disclose, it's they didn't even realize it was a conflict. So uh, pretty basic uh, conflict of interest problems. Uh, Sloan Kettering has promised to do a root cause analysis 
of this uh, egregious uh, conflict of interest, as one physician put it, but it's yet to happen. Uh, it's unclear. Um, several people quoted in the article uh, by Sloan Kettering, or rather representatives of Sloan Kettering, uh, basically thought it was not a problem and that the people making complaints didn't understand um, what undue influence is, demonstrating they have a complete lack of knowledge of uh, the people making these statements had complete lack of knowledge of conflicts of interest. So a lot of turmoil at Sloan Kettering, uh, a great article for every company to think about in terms of conflicts of interest and something that uh, is going to be uh, interesting to uh, for us continue uh, to watch going forward, Jay. Great stuff, Tom. Um, next up, we have an article that comes to us from uh, Maurice Gilbert's Corporate Compliance Insights. And it's by one of his, uh, his columnists, uh, Christian Audie. And Christian uh, decides to take a quick look at uh, five things on where blockchain is going to be going in 2019. What, is, what does Christian think about that? So uh, it's a really interesting article. I think that uh, uh, everyone in compliance needs to understand the power of blockchain, what it uh, may portend going forward. I've talked about that in one of my podcasts, Innovation on Compliance. It really ties into smart contracts and blockchain can make things uh, certainly immutable and not subject to manipulation going forward. But she gives five potential changes. Uh, number one, the revolution in blockchain will be permissioned. That uh, This means that uh, the backbone protocol link uh, in, um, will be in place and participants will be allowed to see it. Uh, this leads to number two, that audits will be uh, will get easier. For, so from a compliance perspective, perhaps the most exciting thing is the ability to see the entire provenance of a particular uh, good in, in our world, Jay, that would be a contract, uh, and the relationships between parties, uh, e third parties. Next, that the, uh, the revolution in blockchain will be not only televised, but it will be open sourced. And I take that from um, the Prince uh, song, uh, that the revolution will be televised, but it will be open sourced. And this, I think, will also help, uh, certainly in transparency. Uh, she believes there will be significant regulatory events um, because the, the SEC is going to have to weigh in at some point, uh, not, on, not necessarily on Bitcoin, although tangentially on Bitcoin, but on blockchain ventures and to see uh, how states regulate this in the lack of SEC, in the face of the lack of the SEC really doing anything. And finally, uh, compliance professionals will show value in the early case use. Uh, I've seen the value, as I mentioned, in two areas. One in contracts, uh, where you have compliance terms and conditions. But the second, in your relationships with third parties, because it will have all of your uh, due diligence, and it will give you an automated way to have an immutable uh, evidence that uh, you've engaged in a robust or perhaps a, a lack of robust uh, due diligence and management of a contractual relationship with a third party going forward. So this, Jay, continues the uh, innovation and compliance that uh, you and I have touched on and I have a separate podcast on. And I think this will be one of the ways that compliance practitioners can bring not only a greater efficiency, but greater value and greater profitability to a company going forward. Uh, Jay, we end with uh, another three sets of, uh, or rather another look forward. And I was really interested that uh, Miller and Chevalier's James Tillen and Ann Sullivan made three predictions for the 2019 FCPA year. Do you want to tell us about those? 
Yeah, it's um, and Salton actually. Uh, I know you know that. Uh, one of uh, the things that they've said is, uh, in light of all the enforcement actions, multiple policy changes, and coordination with several enforcement agencies outside the U.S., uh, 2008 was a significant year for U.S. foreign corrupt practices enforcement. Um, the first prediction they make is that the DOJ will not make any major policy announcements 2019, and this has been reflected by all the uh, clarification and transparency that has come out of the DOJ this year, starting in November 2017 with the revised FCPA corporate enforcement policy, followed in May 2018 by the policy and corporate co coordination of corporation resolution penalties. That's what is commonly referred to as the no piling on policy. Last October, Assistant Attorney General Brian Benskowski issued a memorandum, which uh, basically officially memorialized many of the things that have happened in terms of the selection of monitors in criminal matters. And uh, basically they feel that with all these things having uh, been revised, also, um, basically the spirit of Yates' memo saying that people need to provide substantial information, but not all on individuals who are involved. So all that taken together, um, they feel that next year, or this year rather, 2019, will be filled with uh, actually executing these policies and see how they stand up. Uh, the second point that they make is that the DOJ and the SEC will continue to wrap up long-running investigations. Uh, part of that reasoning is they looked at uh, this year's settlements on Societe Generale, which was initially disclosed in 2011, then in Bright Street, which was initially disclosed in 2012, and Panasonic Corporation and Petrobras, uh, Panasonic in 2013, Petrobras in 2014. Uh, from 2013 to 15, the average investigation length was just over four years. In 2018, it was a round of three. Um, we are also hoping to see some uh, long-running cases settle. Uh, Walmart set aside a reserve for $283 million. Uh, they did this in November 2017. Fresenius received uh, $245 million uh, in February 2018 and increased that amount that they set aside to three hundred thirty. million, and MTS uh, set aside $840 million. So the third prediction is that investigations in Latin America will continue to lead to U.S. actions. And this is uh, in light of Operation Car Wash. And they're also talking about the uh, recently, um, what's it called? It's the uh, notebook corruption scandal that's in Argentina. So as global markets become more interconnected and complex, no one country or agency can effectively fight bribery and corruption by itself. The enforcement division's fight against corruption is much more effective when our international colleagues join the shared commitment to eradicating corruption and bribery. So I, I think the predictions are very solid. Uh, they go on to echo a lot of things that we've seen uh, in the past year, 2018. And once you get a chance to really kind of dig in and pack a lot of these year-end things, you'll see that, uh, you know, the worry – the nervous Nellies from two years ago that thought the uh, Trump administration was going to come in and say, uh, you know, we are closed for business when it comes to FCPA uh, and anti-corruption initiatives uh, were were definitely chicken littles. And uh, in the first four days of this year, we still see that the uh, anti-corruption movement is moving forward. 
So uh, all in all, a, a very interesting uh, first four days of the new year, uh, Jay. A lot happened, and uh, frankly, I uh, can't, can't wait to see where it may be going. Jay, I don't know if you um, were able to catch it, but I did a five-part podcast this, series this week on leadership based upon the book by General Stanley McChrystal and uh, two other co-authors, Leaders, Myth, and Reality. And so I had uh, part one was the founders, Walt Disney and Coco Chanel. Part two was the geniuses, Leonard Bernstein and Albert Einstein. Part three, the heroes, Jing He and Harriet Tubman. Part four, the power brokers, Boss Tweed and Margaret Thatcher. Part five, the reformers, Martin Luther and Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in this book, uh, the authors uh, used the Plutarch Lives format to look at uh, or compare and contrast two leaders or two great individuals and their leadership skills. And I try to distill those down for not only the business uh, leader, but the compliance practitioner as well. So uh, it's out on um, multiple, uh, multiple platforms. I'm very thrilled to announce Jay that I'm going to be on Spotify, hopefully uh, by next week. So uh, you can download me and, and, uh, no doubt my now 22-year-old daughter will continue to think I'm cool because, you know, hey, I got my own Spotify show now. So uh, anyway, uh, next week I have a, uh, another uh, week-long podcast series, this time with our good friend Amy Bernard Bond, where we take a look at the top five corporate scandals from 2018 from the board of directors' perspective. So uh, hope you'll uh, uh, join, join me in that exploration next week. It will be my five-part podcast format. Uh, 10 minutes each with a short write-up for uh, each podcast. They release uh, each day on uh, my site, the FCPA Compliance Report and JD Supra. They're available on uh, iTunes and YouTube uh, starting on Monday, January 7th. And uh, Masterclass in San Fran, did we cover that? Uh, We have not, so I'm also pleased to announce my first 2019 Masterclass uh, hosted by Baker Tilly and our good friend Jonathan Marks, me in San Francisco. I've got uh, links in the show notes to it. Uh, If you need more information, you can certainly email me or contact me about it. Uh, It is um, our first time in San Francisco, so I'm looking uh, forward to that, and uh, uh, that's uh, what I have on the go. Anything from your end, Jay? Well, I, I think uh, we owe it to ourselves to take a couple minutes and talk about our NFL teams. And I am sure the excitement uh, multiplies not only uh, with you, uh, with your hot Longhorns being a Sugar Bowl champ, but now you have an opportunity for not your Houston Texans, but yes, your Dallas Cowboys. And I'm wondering how you think they will fare in the first round of the playoffs. Well, as everyone will recall in the Tony Romo Bowl, the last time the Cowboys and the Se- Seahawks played, uh, Tony Ro- Romo fumbled a uh, snap for a field goal and uh, at the last play of the game, and the Cowboys lost. So uh, hopefully we will do a little bit better than that. And the Texans, while I won't say they backed into the playoffs, they were 0-3 and then went on a uh, 9-0 run uh, uh, and then stumbled in at 2-2 two and two to uh, – win their division uh they're playing the indianapolis colts who they beat once this year uh before uh, before andrew luck really came back full speed so it's going to be very interesting uh but frankly jay uh i've never i guess it's never happened that the cowboys and texans both played in a playoff game on the same days so i'm bunkered in in front of the television (laughs) on saturday Mrs. Compliance Evangelist has uh, not adopted the enthusiastic tone that I've noted in this podcast. 
So it's unclear uh, how much bunkering she will do in front of the television. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I've got uh, summer sausage, some uh, jalapeno cheese, lots of Diet Coke. I may have a hot chocolate or two, and I'm going to watch some good old pro football. How about your Patriots? Well, I think my Patriots are not your father's Patriots. They're always a team that is uh, very chameleon-like, and they play uh, a brand of football that dictates to try to neutralize their opponent's weaknesses. Uh, for the winter, the team usually becomes a running team, and uh, with Brady not really being on the same page with many of his receivers and you know, whether or not you want to take last week's shellacking of the New York Jets, it was the New York Jets. So I really can't put much faith in that. Uh, New England did su- uh, secure themselves the first run by. And every time they've gone on to the Super Bowl, they've done that. So they were uh, very fortunate to uh, get the bye because at one point the Texans were in the lead. Um, I think I can see them going to the uh, to the conference championships but I'm not sure if they're going to have enough uh, gas to get them all the way to the Super Bowl. But uh, I don't have any uh, horses in the hats in the ring this weekend. So uh, I will be uh, celebrating the end of the new year and uh, be looking forward to next week when we will uh, take a look at everything that's happened in the last seven days and take a look uh, at the uh, division championships. So on behalf of Tom Fox, Lions Evangelist, and myself, Jay Rose, and Mr. Monitor, would like to thank you for joining us for this week in FCPA, uh, episode 136 for the week ending January 4th, 2019, the We Are the Sugar Bowl Champions Edition. Thanks for uh, listening, and have a wonderful week. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA for the first week of 2019. If you have any questions, you can email Jay at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you'll join Jay and I next week where we take a look at next week's top stories in the FCPA Compliance and Ethics. This Week in FCPA is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.